Okay, Bruchim Aboim. Bruchim Aboim, welcome everyone, Shem We're continuing in our Shurim on Sefer Bamidbar. The Shurim on Sefer Bamidbar are generously dedicated by our dear friends, Dr. Zakheim Umashpachta, Lila Nishmas, Dr. Zakheim's mother, Rivka Bas Tovi Halevi, and Lila Nishmas, Rabbi Shalom Eliezer ben Rabbi Yaakov Zakheim. They should be Melitza Yisharm for their whole family. For Simcha Sanachas, Adbias Gal Tzedek. The Shurim on Sefer Bamidbar are also sponsored by Rabbi Isaac Yasolovsky, Lilanishmas, Rabbi Isaac's father, Shabsi ben Yitzchak Isaac, whose yard site was Tesvav Sivan. Tonight's Shur is sponsored anonymously. Lilanishmas, Chayasara Bas Simcha. She should be a Melitza Yishar for her whole family. Today's shir is also sponsored by my dear friend Rabbi Yaakov Mizrahi. Hashem should bless him with Baruch of Hatzlacha. Okay, so we have a very interesting subject tonight. And this week is Parshas Bahaloischa. But I would like to speak today about one of the colorful and interesting personalities in Jewish history. You see, we live in a time where everyone, all, everyone in our community and all of our chachamim all have to fit into a very specific box and have to act a very specific way and have to teach and learn a very specific method. But throughout our history, we've had many great sages and chachamim who were of colorful personality and had very wide uh, interests and uh, up there among them was a great sage by the, the name of Rabbi Menashe ben Yisrael or Rabbi Menashe Menashe ben Israel and uh, we would like to speak about him today his background his uh, what he accomplished during his lifetime and uh, one of the reasons I'm speaking about it, because uh, we're going to be, we're heading out soon. In the beginning of July, we're going to be visiting Spain and Amsterdam and then Portugal. So I want to give you a little bit of a taste of the history of these uh, countries and uh, the personalities that grace these countries. Manuel Diaz Soero. Manuel Diaz Soero. That was the name that. Menashe ben Israel was born as, because he was born to a Murano family. By the way, we don't like to use the word Murano. Murano is a pejorative term. It means pig. That was the name that the Christians hurled on us. Those Jews who practiced Judaism in secret were called Muranos. So his uh, parents were uh, Muranos, and they escaped the auto de fe just by the, you know, just in a split second, they were able to escape Portugal. The family, uh, after a short stay in France, they settled in Amsterdam. Amsterdam had a much more open uh, type of climate where many Muranos uh, uh, were able to find security there. And uh, upon return to Amsterdam, the family name became Ben Yisrael. And his name, Menashe's name, was switched from Manuel Diaz Soero to Menashe. So Menashe. And he had a brother, Ephraim. 
So this is the beginning of the life of Menashe in Israel. He was born in 1604, some say in Lisbon, some say the island of Madeira. Uh, but he was born in Amsterdam, excuse me, he was born in Portugal. So the family runs away, they come to Amsterdam, and Menashe received a very thorough Talmudic education. He studied under Rabbi Yitzchak Uziel, and after, two years after Rabbi Yitzchak Uziel passed away in 1620, Menashe, at 18 years old, became the Rav in the Sephardic community, Neve Shalom. But aside from his Talmudic education, he was also uh, received a very comprehensive secular education. He was fluent in 10 languages, and he had expertise in many disciplines, medicine, mathematics, astronomy. He was well-read in classic literature and Christian theology, and he had many debates and conversations with Christian theologians. So this is the background of Menashe ben Israel. Um, and his fame as a scholar spread beyond the confines of the Jewish community. So he had many discussions with Christian theologians. And actually one of his works made such an impact that we're going to see, first of all, he, uh, he acquired a very a good friend. His friend, he was good friends with Rembrandt. And there are a number of sketches that Rembrandt drew that are said that Rembrandt was drawing Menashe ben Israel. Actually, there are a few famous sketches that Rembrandt uh, drew that people say are Menashe ben Israel, but uh, most of them that are found were not Menashe ben Israel. Instead, the picture you have over here was, this is the picture of Menashe ben Israel. Um... It's interesting, Menashe ben Israel wrote a work called Piedra Gloriosa Odila Estatua di Nebuchadnezzar. I'm sure you remember reading that in your youth. It's probably been uh, many years, but the uh, Menashe ben Israel wrote the book Piedra Gloriosa Odila Estatua di Nebuchadnezzar. So uh, basically, Menashe ben Israel wrote a work explaining the significance on the meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's statue in the prophecy of Daniel. And Rembrandt helped um, Menashe ben Israel draw the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. Actually, you could see today we have extant uh, the picture of the drawing by Rembrandt of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, statue. By the way, um, uh, Menashe ben Israel established the first Jewish printing press in Holland, and all Jewish books were printed under his auspices. So even though there were many Chachamim alive in his time, you had Rav Shaul de Motera, who was the chief rabbi of Amsterdam, he's known as the Binyan Ariel, and you had other Chachamim, for example, Rav Yitzchak Abuhab was there, and other Chachamim. However, after the fact, meaning centuries later, of all the sages that graced Amsterdam, Menashe ben Israel is the most well-known because he printed the most. So in the time, there were people who were better known than he was. But in terms of enduring the test of time, Menashe ben Israel endured the test of time because of his printing. Now, off the record, there was some strife between Menashe ben Israel, it seems, and the community. And this is an age-old battle. And that is the battle between the lay leaders, and the rabbis. This has been going on for many, many centuries. You know, 
till today. Ad hayoyim hazeh. The way I like to say it is that the difference between then and now is now people are coy enough to make believe that they like each other. So they pretend they like each other. Back then they were honest enough to make it clear that they didn't. Okay, that's the difference between then and now. So, you know, the story goes, the rabbi wasn't feeling well, and uh, the president of the board came, and he said, Rabbi, I just wanted to tell you that the board voted 7-6 to six to wish you a refuah shalema. <laughs> so, um, the story goes um, that um, the Adaras had uh, difficulty with his kehillah because he wanted a raise, um, him and the Parnasei Ho'ir, and he wasn't getting the raise that he needed, so he had no recourse but other than to go on strike and not to, not to paskin halachas for the kehila. And he, after the fact, he felt a little bit guilty about that, so he wrote a letter to Rabbi Yitzhak Al-Khanon Spector. And, you know, what, was it right of him to, you know, how could he do that to the kehila? And Rabbi Yitzhak Al-Khanon says, come on, I, I, had, I have to do that all the time, you know? So this is an age-old battle um, that we're going to see that Menashe Israel had financial difficulty. The reason he had financial difficulty is because Rav Shomor Terah was given a much higher salary. Rav Yitzchak Abuhav was given a little bit less. And Rav Menashe Ben Israel was given the lowest salary of all the Chachamim in the city. So there seems to have been some kind of uh, rift between him and the which may have been due to the fact that most of the Jews in Amsterdam were descendant of Moranos. And the fact that they grew up as Christians may have meant that they had certain beliefs which were not uh, mainstream Jewish beliefs that they still held on to. And Menashe Menesho published many, many svarim on Emuna that rubbed them and made them very uncomfortable. So this perhaps created a, a situation... But let, let's um, let's see a little bit about um, the accomplishments of Ramanasha ben Israel. First of all, uh, the first thing you need to know is that he's listed as one of the all-time great Gedolei Israel by the Chida in the Sefer Shem Hagadolim. So in the Chida Shem Hagadolim, he brings Menashe ben Israel and he brings his Sefer Nishmas Chaim. Now Nishmas Chaim is a wondrous Sefer. It is a Sefer dedicated to prove the immortality of the soul. Hasharas Hanefesh, the immortality of the soul. Actually, it was out of print for many years, and uh, a great sage in Kugarn Hills, Rabbi Shmaryahu Shulman, who was a Talmud of Yeshivanar Yisrael, republished the Sefer Nishmas Chaim, and in the back he put some of his own Chidushim. And this is a Sefer proving the eternity of the soul. So actually, if you, you have over here an excerpt in number 10 of the Sefer Nishmas Chaim, he says, um, it should not be bad in your eyes. It's, I mean, you should not find it difficult that I quote in my Sefer the beliefs of scholars and sages who are not Jewish. He says, the reason I do that is just so that you should know that all of the valid beliefs of the sages of the world, they usurped and they took from uh, Judaism and it became part of their belief. And if you read their beliefs, we will see that many of our beliefs has crept into their belief. But says Menashe ben Israel that anybody who knows me knows that I dedicate uh, myself primarily to the study of Talmud Bavli 
and also he was a great Kabbalist. He was uh, one of the first Chachamim to be very well versed in the teachings of the Zayar HaKadosh. So not all the Chachamim in Amsterdam were uh, proponents of studying the Zayar and uh, teaching the Zayar. Menashe ben Israel, despite his very uh, academic background, nevertheless was a great expert in the teachings of the Zayar HaKadosh. Okay. Other religions and uh, probably Jews in that time, probably Jews in that time, they didn't know what to do. They didn't have the proper upbringing and training and, and education because many of them uh, grew up as uh, Christians. So apparently, in that time, the immortality of the soul was not was not a uh, a unanimously maintained belief even among the Jews. Otherwise, Menashe uh, ben Yisrael would not have to. Right about that. We take it. We take it for granted. But if you look in the Chumash, does the Chumash explicitly say that the soul will live forever? Actually, the Chumash doesn't even talk about the afterlife. There is no mention of Olam Haba in the whole Chumash. Gilgal also is certainly not mentioned in the Chumash. There's no mention of what happens after 120 in the Chumash. That's the Kliyakar's question in Parshas uh, the Chukaisai. So this was uh, the main subject of Menashe and Israel's work. Now the Chida says. That Menashe ben Israel wrote, um, he was a doyreish toiv. He was a marvitz toiv in Amsterdam, showing the truth of the words of Chazal in many areas, and he wrote many beautiful uh, svarim. In he wrote svarim in Spanish. He wrote svarim in Latin. He was fluent in ten languages. Now, over here in number three, we have the title page of one of the great svarim of Menashe ben Israel. The name of this book is the. Conciliator, the conciliator. This he wrote in Spanish. Um, the conciliator, and what's interesting is, the chida brings this down as one of the great svarim in the conciliator. Menashe and Israel um, addressed all psukim that seem to contradict each other. Meaning, did God create man and then from man take a rib and create Eve, or did Hashem split them into two? So he reconciles all difficult passages in the Chumash. Then, here comes one of the main contributions of Menashe ben Israel. This is uh, quite an interesting work. The name of the work is Mikveh Yisrael. In English, it's called Hope of Israel. This work was published in Spanish. In Spanish, if you want to know what it looked like, you have on, uh, on the page 4, the last page, last Maramakam on your sheet, Mikveh Yisrael. Esperanza de Israel. For those of you who speak um, Spanish, Mr. Adler asked me if I could bring in the title page in Spanish. So it's right here. Okay, It's in Spanish. And this created a big stir. Because as we're going to see... Now you want to know why am I speaking about this Parshas Bahaloyscha? Oh, many, many reasons. The first reason is because this all started with a Levi. This is the Parsha of the Levium. And this... this um, book all began, the genesis of this book was with the report of a Levi. The Levi's name was Aharon Halevi Sephardi. But as you can imagine, that wasn't his original name. His original name was Antonio di Montezinos. Do you remember him? Antonio di Montezinos, known as Aaron Levi, was a Portuguese traveler and a Murano Sephardic Jew. In 1644, he met Manasseh ben Israel the rabbi in Amsterdam, and he said that in his voyages he met one of the lost ten 
tribes of Israel. One of the Aser Sashvatim. Where did he find them? He found them in the jungles of the Quito province. Where is Quito? In the Pachincha province of Ecuador. Do you know where Ecuador is? It's in South America. And uh, this Anto Antonio de Montezinos maintained that in Ecuador, uh, these tribes were Jews because he spoke to them in Hebrew and they told him that they are B'nai Avraham Yitzhak and Yaakov and that they started off in the West Indies they came from uh, Jewish countries and they, they were lost in the West Indies and then they made their way to the island to, to Ecuador and that is where he found the river of Sambatyon and Menashe and Israel went with this in fact Menashe and Israel maintains that the Native American Indians are the Aseras Hashvatim. So who would have thought that the changing of the name of the Cleveland Indians is anti-Semitism? Right? The Native American Indians, Menashe and Israel maintained, were the Aseras Hashvatim. And the origins of the United States of America, therefore, are the one of the ten lost tribes. That is the basis of the book Mikveh Yisrael. So you say, okay, you know, what's that going to do for us? Menashe ben Israel wrote this book, Mikveh Yisrael. He had it translated it into Spanish. This created a tremendous stir among the Christian world. This was such, a, it created such a controversy that Oliver Cromwell, his attention was kindled because the Puritans were all studying Esperanza de Israel. And we'll see why. They would never have sold Manhattan. What? They would never have sold Manhattan for only twenty-four dollars. Yeah, if more. They're, if they're Jewish. <laughs> okay, that's one of the proofs against it. But and then the book was translated into Latin, Spesti Israelis, in sixteen fifty, that the American Indians were the descendants of the ten lost tribes. Okay, now. How did they get from Ecuador to the United States of America? I guess Mexico, and then you know that the border is not that well secured, so they had them bust off to uh, hotels in Manhattan. So that's that's you know, it's all part of it. It's all. <laughs> so that's the that was the belief of Antonio de Montezinos as well as Menashe ben Israel. So this book was published. This story happened in August eighteenth, sixteen forty four. Now fasten your seatbelts because we're going to see where this brings us. It was the belief of Menashe ben Israel that the Mashiach will not come until Jews are dispersed to every single region in the world. And Menashe ben Israel believed that the two extremities of the world that were holding up the redemption was Jews needed to be in America and they also needed to be dispersed to England. England was considered the end of the world. Now you say, what do you mean? Of course there were Jews in England. No, there weren't. The Jews were kicked out of England in the year 1290. And for 400 years, Jews were not allowed any entry into England. People think Shakespeare was an anti-Semite. He wasn't an anti-Semite. He never saw a Jew. It was, all, it was all, you know, legend in his mind. So, Menashe ben Israel... Okay, first let's talk about his prophecy about the Jews of America. You know, everybody likes to... To um, including myself, everybody likes to say, you know, the Jews of America, they better get out of here quickly before what happens 
uh, before what happened to every single exile in the world happened to the Jews of America, we think, you know, they're going to come and they're going to say, Yidalach, you're so cute, go liquidate your bank accounts, go sell your land, and then go to Israel. You know, we're lu- usually we're lucky if we could escape with the shirt on our back. However, Menashe in Israel has a more promising and positive outlook for the Jews of America, including the final finances of the Jews of America. We have a Pasuk in Yeshaya, look at number 6. The will be on that day. Yitaka They will blow a big shoifer. And those who are lost in the land of Ashur will come. And those who are outcast, They will bow to God on the holy mountain, Birushalayim. So it seems like at the end of the days, there will be Jews lost in Ashur, there will be Jews outcast in Egypt. These will be the two main locations of Jews in the diaspora before Mashiach comes. Ashur, Assyria, I don't know, Syria, Lebanon, you know, Turkey, and, and Egypt. Now, there are not too many Jews in either region right now, so what exactly does the Navi mean? Furthermore, the Navi Yeshaya says, that in the times of Mashiach, the first, the first nation that will come to Yushalayim is Tarshish. And the question is, who's Tarshish? The Pasuk says in number 7, Kili iyim yikavu, to me, Islands will gather. And the boats from Tarshish will come first. To bring your children from far. With all their silver and gold with them. So whoever this Tarshish is, they're going to be redeemed first. And they're going to come with checks and mutual funds and stocks and cryptocurrency. They're going to bring everything with them. So who's Tarshish? So says Menashe ben Israel. Then the end of days, all the Jews from all over the world will gather in two locations, Assyria and Egypt. The Jews who are outcast in India and the Far East, everywhere in Asia, maybe Russia, they will come to Assyria. And the Jews from America, they will come to Egypt. And there, then, Assyria and Egypt will be the two main locations of the gathering of Jews. Then the shoifer will blow, and they will all ascend to Eretz Yisrael. So in the end of days, the Jews from Asia, they'll come to Assyria. The Jews from America, they'll come to Egypt. How will they get there? Alexandria, or they will come to... Um, also, Jews in Africa will come to Egypt. The Nile River will dry up. And from there, from there, everyone will come to Yushalayim. And who will be the first nation to come to Yushalayim of all the nations? Will it be France? Will it be Morocco? Will it be England? Will it be South America? You ready for this? Oysam Shebe America Yiskab The first Jews to be redeemed when Mashiach comes will be the Jews of America. USA, USA will be the first, we're going to win the gold. We will be the first nation to redeem. And not only that, the good news is, Kaspa Muzahavamitam. You'll bring your money with you also. Again, I can't tell you if this is how we paskin. I can't tell you if anybody else agrees with this. In the Sefer Gedolei Hadorais, he says it's hard to imagine of Rabbi Chil that the word Tarshish means America. 
usually Tarshish in the Targum Shivim in the Septuagint. Tarshish refers to Kartiga, a, a city in North Africa. But the opinion of Manasseh ben Israel is that the first nation to be redeemed in the end of days will be the United States of America with their money. When, when, when did he live? What year? 1644. So, I mean, he was fully aware of America. He was fully aware sure. of the uh, Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> no. Wasn't Tarshish with, uh, with uh, Yona? With Yona, right? So it's hard to imagine Yona was headed to America. You know, right? Yeah, who would have thought it? Yom Kippur, you know, in the, in the closing moments of Yom Kippur, Hashem's reminding us to do tshuva. Don't think you're going to escape me in America. Now that, you know, Yonah takes a new meaning. You know? <laughs> you ain't going to escape me in America. Anyway, this was the belief of um, Menashe ben Israel. By the way, we have in number 12 from the Sefer Mikveh Yisrael, again, in Spanish, Esperanza de Israel. And in Latin, it was called Spesti Israelis. And um, he, he writes a summary of the of his thesis in Mikveh Yisrael, he says, number one, that in the West Indies, some of the, no question, some of the lost tribes live. And some of them are hidden today in America. Number two, not all the ten tribes live in, in one place. Some live in Egypt, Pasros, Iraq, islands. Number three, the Yasser Sashatan did not return in the time of the building of the second temple. Number four, the ten tribes still believe in God. As this, this uh, Antonio de Montezinos said that they, they spoke to him in Hebrew and they had many Jewish customs. Number five, the prophecy of the redemption has not yet occurred. And at the time of the redemption, the ten tribes will gather from wherever they are to Ashur and to Egypt and the first to make it back to Jerusalem will be the Jews of America. Now, before I continue, I want to bring to your attention uh, something amazing. You ever notice, when people read a newspaper, how do they read a newspaper? They lean back, they poke it out, you know, they cross, they, they, they relax. Or, you ever see how um, other religions pray? They're still. And Jews, when we learn, they're like, they're on the move, right? Jews are shuckling. And if, the, and if you try to say, you stop the guy, all of a sudden his leg is shaking, right? He can't be contained. All a, and Jews, when they daven, they're shuckling, they're swaying. You go to um, houses of worship of nations of the world, you don't even know if they're awake. Hello, you there? You know, they don't move. So the question is why? Where does this come from that Jews shuckle when they learn? So the Kuzari says the first thing is, it... it elevates the body heat and it, it it inspires more dedicated study so that's one reason to shaka and then he says there's a historical reason and that is they used, they used to have many students and very few books so basically in order for all the students to see the book they would have to do the wave so the first student would go like that then the, he would go like that so the next student would shuckle down and he would go up and the third student would come down and they basically were swaying back and forth so everybody, everybody got a nice look and peek at the book. There was one book, ten students, shuckling was the only way everybody is going to see what's happening. 
Menashe ben Israel says that's a nice practical reason. This is not the tradition of the Zayar HaKadosh. Amazingly, Menashe ben Israel would always turn to the Zayar to uncover the Kabbalistic reasons for things. And he says there's a Kabbalistic reason why Jews shakal. And that is that we, our soul, emanates from the great fire on high. That fire on high is the Almighty Himself. So our soul is like a nair, is like a flame. And when we learn Torah, the Torah is the wick. And when we're exposed to Torah, just like a flame is always flickering, it's always moving, it's always swaying, it's always, it's like, it looks like it wants to jump, it can't contain itself. When a Jew is exposed to Torah, no Jew learns like this. Isve Abaye. Abaye asked a very powerful question. No! Isve Abaye, their hand motions and their, their gesticulations and their swaying and shuckling. And because when a Jew is exposed to Torah, his soul, which is a flame from on high, is, is connected to the wick and it's like a flickering flame. That's the reason the Zayhar revealed why we shuckle when we learn Taira. And then Menashe ben Israel says that the Almighty left him a makayim to innovate and to discover a new reason why Jews shuckle at the time of prayer. He says, the Gemara tells us in Masech Tainis that a person is compared to a tree. He adam Man is compared to a tree. The thing is, a little bit different than a tree. A tree has roots Below. Man's roots are his head. And just like a tree needs roots to absorb rain and to absorb nutrients and to absorb water, man needs roots, and that's his head, to absorb the spiritual influence which is coming down from heaven. When a Jew davens, when a Jew learns, there is spiritual influence that is coming down to his reish or her reish. And when, when a person is learning, it's like there's rain. It's like a heavy rain that's, that's giving saturation to the mind and the soul of man. So at the time of learning, where there's this great influence of spiritual energy, our heads are swaying because we're so, we're so stirred and we're so caught up to be able to take in this spiritual influence of uh, of ruchnius, of spirituality, that we can't contain ourselves and we can't help ourselves, but we're just swaying and moving. Good? That's the reason offered by Menashe ben Israel. As mentioned, it was the belief of Menashe ben Israel that the Jews will not be redeemed until they are exiled and dispersed to all corners of the world. On the other hand, there was a belief of the Christians that they won't be redeemed until the Jews see their redemption. So it was sort of mutually beneficial that the Jews should be allowed entrance back into the land of England. So in 1290, the Jews were thrown out of England. And in 1655, after the work, Esperanza de Israel created such a stir... Menashe ben Israel was given private audience with Oliver Cromwell, the ruler of England. And in 1655, Menashe ben Israel traveled to England with a pamphlet, and you have the copy of the title page here, number 13, to His Highness, 
the Lord Protector of the Commonwealth of England, Scotland, and Ireland, the humble address of Anasha ben Israel, a divine and doctor of physic, in behalf of the Jewish nation, where he was petitioning Oliver Cromwell, and he was received cordially by member, many members of the English Parliament. They gave him audience, and Menashe ben Israel plead to allow the Jewish people back into England. His, Menashe ben Israel's motivation was, he be- believed that the Gula would not come until the Jews were allowed back into England. However, Cromwell received him very favorably, but he stopped short of acceding to his request. And he did not officially allow the Jewish people to return to England. 1656, England declares war against Spain. Now we have these rich Muranos in England. And the question is, are these Muranos Jews or Spaniards? Meaning, if they're Spaniards, they can't stay in England. But if they're Jews, then he could keep these rich guys in England. The only thing is, he doesn't allow Jews in England. So he's caught up between a rock and a hard place. He's at war with Spain, so he can't let Spaniards stay, but he doesn't allow Jews to stay. So unless he bends the rules and allows Jews to, uh, to now stay. So Cromwell allowed them to stay informally, and later on the status quo was preserved, and, by the way, when Cromwell was in England, he refuted some of the anti-Semitic libels. He called something. He wrote something called "Vindicia Judia Arum," and he did arouse some sympathy. However, he did not accomplish his goal. Jews were not legally allowed back into England until 1753, a hundred years later. So you know. It's hard to say that he was successful in um, accomplishing his goal. Actually, Menashe Menezel left England broken, penniless. He felt he did not accomplish his goal, although some attribute the ultimate uh, readmittance of the Jewish people to Menashe Ben Israel. And he had personal tragedy. His son Shmuel, who accompanied him, passed away on the second day of Rosh Hashanah at a young age. And Menashe set sail with his son back to Middleburg, Holland. And after he returned and he buried his son, Menashe ben Israel himself died at the young age of 53 years old. He uh, wrote many books. As mentioned, some of them were, were in Portuguese, some of them in Spanish, some of them in Latin. We have a Hebrew work, Nishmas Chaim, that we quoted, quoted from. We, uh, the work Mikveh Yisrael, again, was translated into Spanish and uh, Latin. He wrote a Sefer um, Pnei Rabbah. He wrote an index to the Medrash Rabbah according to topics. He wrote something called Teshuas Yisrael, which was a translation in Hebrew of the work he uh, wrote against anti-Semitism. We mentioned he wrote Conciliador, and he wrote uh, Sfarim on Halacha in Portuguese. And uh, this Sefer was reprinted in Portugal between World War I and World War II. But he was one of the great leaders of the Jewish people, especially you have to imagine back in that time where Jews, the Jewish community was reeling. You know, the youth had been educated as Christian and they're just first coming um, out of the darkness to, to put their allegiance back with the Jewish people. So there's a legend 
that when Menashe and Israel had audience with Oliver Cromwell, so he starts to um, vindicate the Jewish people. He said, you know, we don't hate Christians and we're loyal citizens. And after Menashe and Israel gave his whole speech, Cromwell gets up and he says, I never thought Jews hated Christians. We respect you. I just have one simple question for you that I can't make heads or tails of. And my simple question is, why would you want to come back to England? We threw you out. The city of York is soaked in Jewish blood. Why would you want to come back here? You know, we respect you. We honor you. But it seems like you're being irrational. Why would you come back to this country? Which is always a good question, you know. The Jews uh, were tortured, were murdered, and then we like to return to, to live in the same places where they killed us. So Menashev and Israel seem to invoke the comments of the Zayar HaKadosh on Parshas Tazria, where the Zayar HaKadosh says, what was the difference between the redemption from Egypt and the redemption in the future? And the Zayar HaKadosh says, the redemption from Egypt was only in one country. The future redemption will be from all over the world. And when God is honored all over the world, then everyone will acknowledge, Vahaya Hashem Lamelech al Kalharat. So Menashem and Israel said as followed as follows to Oliver Cromwell. Legend has it that he was very startled by this question. You know, it's a powerful question. What in the world do we why would we want to come back? You know, it's like Jews go on vacation to death camps. You know, where are you going on vacation? Well, I'm going to stop off in uh, Majdanek and then I'm going to head o- over to Auschwitz. You know, that's how Jews spend vacation. What are you going back there for? So, Menashe ben Israel said as follows. You're making a big mistake. The answer lies in your question. It's because England is soaked in Jewish blood. That's why we need to go back there one, once again. Because we have a tradition that will, there will be a final redemption. And that final redemption will only be when we live and we're dispersed all over the world. Actually, one of our first Urim here, it was next week, Pasha Shlach, where we learned that Hashem swore that He's going to scatter us all over the world. But in Tehillim, it says, um, in Tehillim, it says that God swore He will scatter us all over the world because of the Chet Hamaraglam. And yet, in Parsha Shlach, it says, and, and in Israel, they're laning this week, Parsha Shlach, God says, I swear my glory should fill the whole world. That actually the dispersal of Klal Yisrael throughout the world was Hashem's way of fulfilling that His glory will fill the whole world. Says Menashe ben Israel, since our tradition is that Hashem will redeem us when we're dispersed all over the world, do you know why that has to be? Because the ultimate revenge of the Jewish people is when we go back to the places where we were murdered and then Hashem redeems us from there and then the nations of the world will see and believe that in fact the redemption from Egypt took place. Because until now, they'll say, eh, God never redeemed you from Egypt. But when we're in America and when we're back in France, we're back in England, and they're going to see Hashem, how Hashem redeems us from there the way He did from Mitzrayim, they will see and they will retroactively acknowledge that the first redemption was, uh, was in fact, uh, occurred. So the ultimate revenge of the Jewish people is when Hashem redeems us from all the countries of the world and the nations of the world will acknowledge that Hashem redeemed us from Mitzrayim. So Oliver Cromwell said, 
wow, I thought the Jewish people had a low morale, they were down in the dumps, but I could never imagine they have such aspirations and they think so broadly and they have such nas- national aspiration of their future redemption. That, in fact, will be the great revenge against the nations of the world. That will be our embarrassment when, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu redeems you from all the countries of the world. So this is the legend of how Menashem and Israel uh, responded to Oliver Cromwell and supposedly this response gained uh, great favor in their eyes. So this is a little bit of the life of Menashe ben Yisrael about which the Chida quotes from Yashar Mikandia, known as of Yosef Shlomo of Kandia, who uh, said about Menashe ben Israel that uh, he was a great um, preacher in his generation, he was great in knowledge, and he had great fame throughout the world. He was Av B'chachma, Verach B'shanim, great in wisdom, young in, er- in years, Pe'er HaChachamim, the glory of sages, Tiferas Amenu, the splendor of our people, Be'enei Ha'amim, in the eyes of the nations of the world as well. And uh, his works endure until today, and uh, are great testimony to his life achievements. So, Yehi Zichroi Baruch, and uh, if anybody wants to join us, we're going to be visiting his kever on Erev Shabbos, Parshas Matos Masay, in the ancient cemetery in Amsterdam. And uh, he was one of the Chachamim that live in Amsterdam. We had Rabbi Shol Mortera, and perhaps another week we'll speak about Rabbi Yaakov Sasportas, who is the chief antagonist, and one of the only early antagonists to Shabdai Tzvi. Have a wonderful uh, evening. Thank you for coming. Bracha v'atzlacha. Into English? Yeah, Hebrew. I think it was translated.